to Light and Shadow, a podcast about the complex themes presented in the horror genre. I'm your host, Nicole, and it's time to share another dark tale. Welcome back, friends. So I told you guys that folk horror might not be happening, and unfortunately, that is the case this month. Um, As you know, I moved halfway across the country um, in April, and I just was not able to pull that episode off. Um, Folk horror has turned out to be a deeper topic than I first thought, and it's going to require just more research and more viewing to pull an episode together. I need to watch at least two more movies, maybe more. We might end up going down a rabbit hole. I don't know. Um, So it might be June. It might be later. There will eventually be one because it's a very, very interesting topic. But I didn't want to just completely leave you without an episode. Um, I mean, I've been doing bonuses and like updates here and there, but I wanted to do a more traditional episode. Did not want to let the month go by without that. So uh, I wanted to talk about something that has just been on my mind lately, and that is true crime. On our drive from Florida to our new home in Arkansas, we binged Root of Evil, which is an excellent podcast about the Black Dahlia murder and its connection to the very strange history of the Hodel family. Um, I listened to it on recommendation from friend of the show, Sunny, and it was just super fascinating. And then last week... Um, David and I binge-watched Waco, which was originally created by the Paramount Network in 2018, and, uh, you know, I was interested in it then, but had no way to see it, and Netflix recently released it, so we just binged the whole thing in, like, two days. So listening to and watching these two stories has really got me thinking about true crime. Why is it so popular? Um, Why do these stories continue to be relevant decades after they occur? It makes perfect sense that horror fans would be drawn to these like darker corners of humanity, but it surprises me that, you know, like your basic soccer mom, you know, your friends who would never watch a scary movie, those like, those are some of the biggest true crime junkies out there. So I'm like, what is it? Is it the drama? Is it like the same compulsion that we have to, you know, gaze at the horrific car crash when we drive by? I'm just wondering... Why can't we look away from these stories? A little background on me. Uh, My mom has always been fascinated by true crime. So I grew up with a pretty common knowledge of like serial killers and famous murders from modern times. And we hopped between Arkansas and Texas in the 90s. So we had a front row seat for both the Waco incident and the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, My parents, you know, were arguing about who was on the right side of the Rodney King incident. And then the O.J. Simpson trial was on our TV every day for what seemed like an eternity when I was a child. My mom only snapped at me a few times growing up that I can recall. But the one time I remember the most was when I complained about watching the O.J. trial just like day after day. And she kindly but firmly told me I needed to be quiet and let her pay attention to it. Uh, So I think that was probably the last time that I uh, spoke up about watching a court case or something on TV. So first up, I want to talk a little bit about cults. 
I grew up religious, which you know, if you have listened to this podcast for any length of time. Um, And because of that, I think cults really hold a particular fascination for me because I feel like I'm just a couple steps removed from that world. And we attended Pentecostal churches my entire childhood. So at times it might have even felt a teeny bit like I was in one. Uh, I grew up in Van Buren, Arkansas, which is right down the road from Alma, where Tony Alamo set up his commune and made these bedazzled jackets worn by celebrities in the 80s. So if you're not familiar with Tony Alamo jackets, Google it. They are starting to gain popularity among celebrities again with 90s fashion coming back. So check it out um, and just check out that whole story. It's kind of your typical cult story. Um, But it is interesting specifically because of these like high-end fashion jackets. And as I mentioned, in addition to Arkansas, I also lived in Texas for a few years in the 90s. So my family was just right in the middle of all the action during the, the Waco, Oklahoma City bombing years. And because of that, the Waco siege is something I've always been familiar with. And I know that it was a pretty big deal when it happened in 93, but I've kind of found over the years that less people know about it than I would have thought. I think maybe more people are familiar with the Oklahoma City bombing, which is a little bit ironic because that bombing was a direct response to the government action taken at both Ruby Ridge and Waco. Uh, Timothy McVeigh was ex-military, and he was like highly critical of the government's tactics and infringement upon the people and their use of force in both of those incidents, Um, which it's worth mentioning. In both of those incidents, um, a crime had been committed and, you know, there was grounds for arrest, uh, but the way they went about it just ended in horrific tragedy. Pretty much all the experts say, had they just handled it a little bit differently, um, they could have held people accountable for their crimes without the huge loss of life and tragedy. So anyway, Timothy McVeigh was actually like, I don't know if protester is the right word, but he was at Waco during the whole 51 day ordeal. And uh, he was filmed by a news reporter there. You can find, I think it's either video footage or, or pictures, but he was there. So then... In 95, of course, he planted explosives at a federal building in downtown Oklahoma City, and it killed 168 people, including children. Now, there has been some debate as to whether or not the Branch Davidians at the Mount Carmel compound in Waco were a cult. They were certainly an unusual religious group, and David Koresh was, you know, very charismatic I think you could probably say he was brainwashing people and he was like abusive at best. Um, He was the only one allowed to have sex with the women, both single and married, in the compound. And some of his wives were minors. However, all that aside, uh, if there had been no government action against them, I'm not convinced there would ever have been, you know, violence or suicide among the Branch Davidians. But there have been a few groups over the years who have gone all in and made the ultimate sacrifice for their beliefs. In 96, 39 members of the Heaven's Gate religious group committed suicide over a three-day period, believing that their souls would be taken to heaven by a passing comet. 
they took poison, which is eerily reminiscent of the most famous cult and mass suicide in history, Jonestown. originally founded the People's Temple in Indianapolis in 1955. He moved the group to California in the 1960s. And apparently, I did not know this until I was researching for this show, but uh, apparently Jim Jones was a communist and he mainly used religion as a tool to promote his views. So he really appealed to people's need to belong and put a strong emphasis on equality and inclusion. So he was very much like equality for races, equality for women, which sounds great and is appealing to people. Um, he also rejected the Bible as white men's justification to dominate women and enslave people of color. In 1977, Jones established a new community in Guyana, Africa. This community was informally called Jonestown, and the people who lived there built it and worked it with their own hands. This was um, kind of a paradise of sorts for these people. Um, they just wanted to sort of leave the hustle and bustle, um, especially of California, and just go somewhere where they could peacefully live a simple life, which sounds fantastic. Um, but there were there had always been rumors about the People's Temple and Jim Jones and are people allowed to leave? Are people being abused? And so in 1978, a congressman visited Jonestown due to concerned family members back in the States and, like I said, rumors of possible abuse. Now, although this was a peaceful visit, Jim Jones was greatly threatened by the presence of outside authority. And so he convinced his people that they would be attacked after this and that it was better for them to die together with their way of life intact. And as the famous story goes, gallons of Kool-Aid were laced with poison. Uh, Jones convinced almost all of his people to take it, and over 900 people died, including the congressman, Leo Ryan, who was shot at the small nearby airstrip trying to leave. There is a recording of Jim Jones' final speech to his people, and also extensive footage of all the bodies just sort of strewn across the grounds at Jonestown. And both are just absolutely chilling. I think that visual is probably one of the most famous images, certainly from the decade, from the 70s. And um, also it's probably one of the most enduring images from, from true crime and cults in general. Uh, once you see it, you 
We'll never forget it. Now, one thing that a lot of these cults have in common is that they start in California, and I have no idea why that is. Heaven's Gate was in California. People's Temple started in California. Tony Alamo actually started in Hollywood and then moved to Alma. Um, So I don't know. There's like something about California. I mean, that's where Charles Manson was. So to me, like equally as fascinating, but maybe a little less understood are famous murders. And there are like a ton of serial killers and infamous murders, like just in the U.S. alone. But I want to focus specifically on Los Angeles. When I was listening to the Root of Evil podcast and they mentioned um, the Los Feliz neighborhood, it triggered something in my brain and made me realize just like how many crazy murders have taken place in that city. So I don't know. There's just something about, I don't know, something about California. And I was like, I just want to dig in. Just want to dig in to California. So when it comes to famous murders and especially famous L.A. murders, the Black Dahlia is the mother of all unsolved cases. And if you're like me, you heard and read and listened to a lot about the Black Dahlia case. And it kind of seems like, oh, I've heard that story. There's probably nothing new out there. However, the Root of Evil podcast really offers some fascinating insight into a much bigger version of the story. Now, I've heard about Steve Hodell, the L.A. detective who suspects his father, Dr. George Hodell, is responsible for the murder of Elizabeth Short, but I had never heard the in-depth, complicated story of like the entire Hodell family, and I certainly had never realized that the murder is rumored to have taken place in one of L.A.'s most famous and beautiful houses. The Soudon House was built in 1926 by Lloyd Wright, son of Frank Lloyd Wright, and is a true work of art. It's in the Mayan Revival style, so it has uh, the like stamped blocks that are stacked up in kind of these like geometric sort of pyramid patterns. And um, Dr. Hodel was an art lover and collector, and he was also a close personal friend to many surrealist artists, including Man Ray, who created several iconic pieces of surrealist art, specifically photography. So Steve Hodell and others theorize that the mutilation of Elizabeth Short and the very specific placement of the body were George Hodell's attempt to create a great piece of surrealist art. I took many art history courses in college, and it's something I'm really interested in, but I don't really know a lot about surrealist art. So the way they lay it all out and really explain it on this podcast has just really intrigued me. Um, I honestly could have listened to eight episodes about just the weirdness that is surrealist art and the meaning behind it and what the artists are trying to accomplish. An object is a result of looking at something which in itself has no quality or charm. I pick something which in itself has no meaning at all. I disregard completely the aesthetic quality of the object. I'm against craftsmanship. I say the world is full of wonderful craftsmen, but there are very few practical dreamers. So for me, both the beautiful and mysterious Soudan House and the surrealist influence in the rumored murder of the Black Dahlia are really what made this particular podcast so unforgettable for me. 
I won't even get into the craziness of the Hodel family dynamics. You can just listen for yourself and see how all those pieces fit into this just crazy story. And for a better look at the Soudan house, I would recommend watching I Am The Night, which is a limited series produced by TNT based on members of the Hodel family. Uh, the story in the show isn't nearly as compelling as the true story, but the production design and inclusion of the actual house where the murder might have taken place uh, really makes it worth a watch. And one last note about the Soudan house. It bears a strong resemblance to another famous L.A. house, the Ennis House. And the Ennis House was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright and used for exterior shots in the original house on Haunted Hill. And both the Soudan and Ennis Houses are in the Los Feliz neighborhood in L.A., which, by the way, I know that like that is not how um, L.A. natives say pronounce the neighborhood Los Feliz. I can't remember how they pronounce it, but they pronounce it differently. So if I have any L.A. listeners out there that are like, mm, that's not how you pronounce it. I know. I just I'm just going to read it how it looks to me. <laughs> so in the same neighborhood as the Soudan and Ennis houses is the infamous Los Feliz murder mansion. In 1959, a wealthy doctor killed his entire family and himself. I'm pretty sure he did it with a hammer, and no one knows why to this day. But uh, the reason why this murder has sort of stuck in the public mind is because after the murder, the house just stood vacant for decades. And until recently, some people said if you peeked through the windows, you would see Christmas presents still neatly wrapped under the tree because the murder happened in December. Now, there is a really chilling scene in the movie Nightcrawler where Jake Gyllenhaal's character is the first on the scene of a brutal murder in this like beautiful house. And to me, it definitely feels inspired by the Lost Feliz murders. And it also just fits kind of right into this like chilling darkness that is L.A. in general in that movie. Like I said, L.A. seems to just be like a hotbed for famous murders. Um, so quickly, I just want to mention, in addition to the two I already talked about, there's also the murder of Sharon Tate and friends by the Manson family, Nicole Brown Simpson in Brentwood, and the mysterious death of Elisa Lamb, who was found in a water tank at the now rebranded Cecil Hotel. Nobody knows how she got there. Another note about the Cecil Hotel. Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, was rumored to have been at the bar days before her death. And Richard Ramirez, who is a serial killer called the Night Stalker, lived there for a bit in the 80s. So I just find it really interesting how all these weird things connect. So I have to ask again, like, why are we so fascinated by these stories? Um, why is true crime more popular than ever? You know, why can't we look away from the car crash? Um, I don't really know. I don't know if anyone really knows, but um, I think it could be because deep down we know that things are not often what they seem. We live in a shiny world, um, but people like to be told the truth about the world every once in a while, even if that truth is unpleasant. So what true crime does is it pulls back the curtain and it shows us what people are really capable of behind the shiny closed doors. Um, why is that comforting? 
I don't know. Uh, Maybe it helps us feel a little bit better about who we are or in a time of relative ease and convenience in our modern world. Maybe it reminds us that it's still a jungle out there and we need to be prepared, you know, just in case we're living next door to, say, Jeffrey Dahmer or Jim Jones. Now, before we go, um, I have quite a bit of recommended viewing if you are interested in any or all of these topics, because when I was thinking about all these things and uh, writing out my notes, just a lot of different uh, TV shows and movies came to mind. So I've already mentioned uh, the Root of Evil podcast. If you're going to listen to or watch anything on this list, that needs to be number one. Um, And followed up with I Am the Night TV show that is based on the Root of Evil podcast. Uh, You might as well watch Waco on Netflix right now. Um, There are also like a lot of documentaries about Waco. Maybe you watch Waco, the TV show, and then you go find a survivor documentary and hear from, you know, the people who, the family members and the kids who were left behind and kind of how it affected them and what they're doing now. Another great one is The Sacrament. Uh, I have always loved The Sacrament. It is almost a beat-for-beat exact retelling of the Jonestown tragedy, and um, that is intentional. The director, Ty West, was always really fascinated by that story, and he just wanted to tell it. Um, So the names are changed, but, I mean, it's almost an exact retelling. It's really well done. It's very chilling. The little clip um, that I played of you know, the speech about ending it all together was taken from the sacrament. That is not the exact recording from Jim Jones. Um, I didn't want to be insensitive and play that actual media. You can seek that out if you want, but the recording I played is from that movie. couple of TV shows about true crime and LA. Um, American Horror Story Hotel oozes that sort of gritty L.A. feel. Um, It includes uh, several serial killers at some point, which is not my favorite part about that show, but uh, it's basically based on the Cecil Hotel. Um, Also, American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson. Fascinating. Um, I mean, of course, I lived through all of that as a child. Um, I did not understand kind of the bigger things that were going on in the world. I feel like that show really helped me understand and really nailed it. And then a couple movies that are less related to everything I just talked about, but are still great supplemental material. First of all, Nightcrawler. I mentioned it. Um, in Nightcrawler, Jake Gyllenhaal is a basically like a first on the scene cameraman who then sells his footage to news stations. Now, I don't know if this is a real profession, but if so, like, ew. Because they aren't employed. Like, they're not reporters. They're not journalists. They're just people that show up to, like, car crashes and murders with a camera. They get the footage, and then they sell it to the news stations. So whoever gets there first, you know, is going to get the shot, is going to get paid. So they're all trying to get there first. And Jake Gyllenhaal's character is this just ruthless sociopath who was willing to do almost anything to get the shot. It's a very uncomfortable movie. And I also think that in the context of what we've talked about today, it really makes us think about as viewers looking at these things, like what does that do to us and what does that say about us? So if you've listened to and like watched all of that and you're feeling kind of sad, I have one more recommendation. 
and that is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Normally, a Quentin Tarantino movie would not make you feel better about anything. Uh, However, the sort of reimagining of what Hollywood is like, it gives you this sort of like positive spin on everything. And it also rewrites uh, Sharon Tate and her friends. It rewrites their story and actually gives it a hopeful ending. And at the end of that movie, you're just like, oh, well, that was nice. So if you need to feel better about all of this just darkness and sadness uh, that you've consumed in regards to true crime, end it with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So thanks for tuning in today. As usual, um, next month is going to be motherhood in horror. We should be returning to a normal schedule. Um, I mean, I'm still working on the new house, trying to get back into the rhythm of life. And that's always a little difficult, but I think things have calmed down enough. We should be back to our regularly scheduled programming. So until next time, be safe out there. Thanks for tuning in. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook at Light and Shadow Pod. Sign up to become a supporter on Patreon for early access to all episodes and more. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help other people find the show. Until next time, stay spooky.